0: Welcome to Cow Talks. I'm Chris Pravat, And I am Marcelo Valal, Forage Extension Specialist with the University of Florida. And this is our podcast,
1: where we dive deep into the main topics affecting livestock and forage production in the southeastern United States.
0: From the mainstream media to new
1: technologies straight from our research stations. From cattle prices to international trade from our pastures and beyond. Join us on this journey as we tackle the main issues affecting our producers and the sustainability of our production systems.
0: So, Chris, you're ready to get uh, your seeds ordered for the cool season variety planting, the cool season planting this year?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think uh, we know there's some shortages out there in terms of annual ryegrass and red clover. We want to be early. We want to be ready. Um, I've already put some orders in for some seed. I'm excited about getting ready this fall.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah, we have some cool guests today that are going to to talk to to us a little bit. We have Dr. Anne Blount, uh, Professor Emeritus from uh, the University of Florida and currently working for the Alabama Crop Improvement, actually. And also, we have Dr. Lian Dillard and Henry Jordan joining us to talk a little bit about the selection and how we run the variety trials. It's uh, it's pretty cool. We know there is a lot of uh, shortness this year, especially in Triticale, but um, I'm curious to see what are the mixes you are going to plant this year.
1: Yeah, you know, I, 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 I kind of take uh, the variety trials and uh, and uh, just kind of see, hey, what's working in, in the southeast? and. Uh, try to see uh, at the same time it's also what's working and what's available uh and then kind of just put together some mixes between tritigalea annual ryegrass, grass oat sewer rye they're all good plants i just try to get them out there in the field and and then put cattle out there on them to graze that is um, fantastic
0: are you overseeding or you're planting prepared seedbed there mostly in alabama both both
1: yeah. so yeah prepared seedbed as well as overseeding um uh you know i kind of set aside some acres that are going to be annuals annuals and then i try to oversee just about every acre put a plant like uh put a plant that's actively growing on each acre and and, uh try to get some winter grazing out of it annual ryegrass is the cheapest and easiest gain that i'm gonna have uh the entire year so i want to make sure i have as much annual ryegrass uh as i can
0: that is fantastic. Yeah, here, a lot of our farmers are going to oversee the annual ryegrass on Bermuda and Bahia grasses. But I always recommend, I kind of have a magic number, but about 20% of my area, I like to have it under annual forages that we can plant both cool season and then warm season later on. I think is one of the best gains that we can get during the year. And uh, it's it's fairly cheap when you compare to feeding hay
1: yeah I mean they're so nutrient dense so uh you know that's kind of the reason we we like the annuals as if you've got something just not you know if if you need well if you do need to add some additional weight to beef cows, the annuals are perfect for that, but uh you know things that have higher nutrient requirements uh stocker cattle dairy cattle uh replacement heifers, even developing some bulls um, uh, are getting bulls back to uh higher plane of nutrition following. Uh, you know, the breeding season, then, you know, it just gives us uh, a more nutrient-dense forage out there and uh, requires a little bit less supplementation whenever feed prices get high.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's hear what our guests have to say today. And just as a reminder for those that are listening, just uh, check our website, check our variety recommendation list on our extension publications. They are both available for Alabama and Florida. We're updating them right now. And so people can access and see what is recommended. And also we have some market updates and see what is available in the market this year. So today I'm in Auburn, Alabama, talking with uh, two colleagues here, uh, Leanne Dillard and Henry Jordan. I'd like to introduce yourself.
2: I'm Leanne Dillard. I am forage specialist here at Auburn University. And I um, do extension and research related to grazing management, especially with cool season annuals.
3: Awesome, Henry. Henry Jordan, I am the variety testing manager here at Auburn University. I do variety testing on all the major row crops, plus ryegrass and small grain forages.
0: Fantastic, and uh, so Leanne is my counterpart in, in Alabama, and we've been working for quite a while, and I'm also excited to start working with Henry now, as we expand our variety trials in Florida so before we start discussing actual varieties and recommendations i want to talk a little bit of why we're doing this and farmers always come to us and ask what to plant here and many times they don't understand the difference in varieties and the different species and i try to explain well we just don't plant oat you just you have to plant a specific type of oat and it's not just any oat that is going to work uh, we have recommendations because we've been testing those varieties to make sure they are performing well. Uh, Henry, you have a long um, long history of variety testing here and in Georgia. Do you want to enlighten us a little bit about the process and the importance of doing that variety trial?
3: Well, I, obviously, I'm a variety testing guy, so I'll always tell you that variety selection is the most important decision that a grower can make. Um, it's gonna be for sure one of the first decisions he's gonna make and it's gonna set him up for hopefully a good season for as, as he moves forward. Um, when he's looking at forage species in particular, hopefully for his first decision is gonna be what species or multiple species am I gonna plant? And then from there he can start delving into what variety and specific do we want to plant.
0: And how is this process? Why are we recommending some varieties and not recommending others? How do we get to this list of varieties?
3: So um, at Auburn, we get the seed companies, they send us numerous varieties to test. We'll harvest those varieties throughout the season. Hopefully with a good season, multiple times up to potentially six, usually four to six is the average average. And we're gonna look at those, we can look at them multiple ways. We can look at it, what are the yields by harvest? So at harvest one, what was the yield? At harvest two, what was the yield? And then we can look at it as, was it an early season yield or a late season yield? At Auburn, we typically divide those up. Um, Middle of March is usually where we draw the line. So anything before the middle of March would go on the early season side. Anything after the middle of March would go to the late season side. So we have we can, we can bust it out into early season, late season, and then we also do a season total. So that would be our cumulative yield across the whole season. So we can look at it multiple ways.
0: Some people ask me many times, and uh, Leanne and I always get together with our colleagues from Georgia, uh, in midsummer to to discuss the variety recommendations, and many people ask us like, "Well, oh, this variety was there in the list, and this year, this year is not anymore." Um, sometimes they still work, sometimes they are not working as well. That's why you take take from the list. But uh, we are trying to make sure that what we're recommending here is things that are proven. In that the companies are also interested in selling, so that's important aspect. There are other forage varieties that are not included on the recommendations list that might work, but we just have not been testing. So simply, simply not we we're not recommending them actively. Okay, so let's let's get to to the actual recommendation. And I think the lowest hanging fruit here for us is actually ryegrass. We've been talking a little bit about ryegrass. Uh, we do have uh, basically three different testing side. Uh, Testing trials or a group of trials here, we have the Florida trial that is running Citra, Florida, where we have some disease ratings. In biomass, we have the trial here in Alabama that involves multiple locations.
3: Yes, we have, for Florida growers, we have a a trial at our Gulf Coast Research and Extension Center, which is in Fairhope, Alabama, close to Mobile. And we have a second location in Headland, Alabama, which is pretty close to the Uh, florida line as well so both of those and not only could help alabama growers but could also help florida growers as well
0: sure and then you have two locations in central
3: two locations in central alabama and one location in north alabama north
0: alabama and then we also have the the georgia trials which expand through three different locations as well
3: yeah those have changed since i'm not (laughs) sure on that one Tifton, Plains, and Griffin, if I'm not mistaken. Tifton, Plains, and Griffin.
0: Okay, so. And every
2: once in a while Rome. So I think, I think it's at least those four locations, a north, a central, and two south.
0: And the interesting thing to, to look is that the varieties that are performing well in the, in the south are frequently quite different than the materials that are performing well in the north. And one of the reasons that we breed those specifically <laughs> for different locations and different purposes so let's take a look at the, the recommendations we have right now for ryegrass and also reminding the, the folks that are listening those, those, material, those uh, recommendations are going to be updated to our websites and in extension, in extension publications both in Alabama, Georgia and Florida. So if you want more information or more detail, take a look on those variety recommendations lists that are going to be updated soon. Terms of ryegrass. So let's let's just take a look on something that is related to the to the southern part of the of Alabama, Georgia, and also northern part of Florida, where most of it. What are the main recommendations we have so far?
3: So I guess let me back up and say that as variety testing, we we just provide the data. We don't necessarily make a recommendation. If anybody's gonna make a recommendation, I'll leave that up to the extension specialist. So that's why we're all here together today. Um, But we have, uh, at least for the Florida people, we have our South Alabama locations grouped together and we've got them broken into early season, late season and season total data. So depending on the growers, certain situation, He may want to look at an early season variety if he's worried about warm season green up. He may want to look at mixing an early and a late season variety that uh, could extend his growing season out further. He may just want to look at the season total if he's just worried about total season grazing. So depending on what the grower is looking for at their certain farm, they may want to look at the data a little bit differently.
2: I'll also point out something unique about this year so it this is three an average of three years of data it's very important as extension specialists when we look at this data we're not just using the previous year so there may be uh, varieties on here that you know we tested but they're not on the list And that's just because we don't have enough data yet and this year in particular because we had that really big cold snap in December um, while it didn't get you know below freezing uh, for an extended period of time in south alabama and florida it did push them back so this year and that's the reason that we use that three year of data because that way we can go on an average and we're not just saying well this year it's a lot different because of that cold snap so um as we move forward you may see things go in and out and a lot of that just dependent on the fact that do we have enough data to support that so this is not just one year of data that we're making these recommendations based on
0: yeah those those are good points first uh the recommendation is Really, depending on the use, and then the second is the the year we did have a very challenging year. I think across the southeast, we experienced those probably four or five days where temperatures barely raised above the max temperature of the day, barely, barely raised above forty, and we saw a huge impact in our in our variety trials, specifically with the oat. Even the triticale got knocked back.
2: Yep, and even um, our. S- our North Alabama locations actually was a complete failure because it was so cold for, for all of our small grains and ryegrass, but we definitely saw that the, the yield this year has been a lot different even in ryegrass, and it's made some of the uh, more cold tolerant varieties this year. It's interesting when you look on the year-to-year data, but that's why it's important that we do use three years of data to look at that so that year-to-year variation is, is not, it's more consistent on those.
3: In addition to the cold damage we got this year and our North Alabama location at Sand Mountain, it was for yield a total failure, but we were able to get some usable data out of it, just that there were about 12 or 13 varieties that really stood out as far as cold tolerance. So that's that's another thing that we could look at when we're looking at these varieties, not just yield, but look at cold tolerance. Um, you mentioned the oats and triticale earlier. Um, that's That's one recommendation that I am willing to make is that any grower should diversify, so you probably want to diversify by species, so not not just plant oats that may get knocked out by the cold, but plant oats and maybe rye grass or something that complement each other a little bit, but you may also want to diversify in variety. So not plant the whole amount of your acres in one variety of ryegrass. You may want to swap it up a little bit.
0: Yeah. A lot of people ask us about the mixtures and, um, this is a little bit off topic, but very frequently they come with those 10 way mixes, 15 way mixes. And I always tell them, okay, what's the purpose? What is the purpose of the mix? And what was the purpose of each species in the mix? And for me, they need to, they need to fill one of the three. And I recently had a fourth. Uh, do they complement each other in time? Do they complement each other in space? In terms of growth habit, and do they complement each other in terms of function? Function can be a higher nutritive value versus a low, or a legume versus a grass, or anything. But recently. I also added, can they complement each other in terms of resilience? Because, for example, my perfect in in quotes here, my perfect mix, which would be for Florida, like oat and ryegrass, because there is no point in putting two small grains that are going to be very similar in terms of production. Well, that would be a big fail. Have been a big failure last year because our goats, our oats, got decimated in some of the trials so that a second small grain there i didn't think about the second variety of in the, in the mix but probably something like a 306 horizon 306 that is a different type that is a is a low uh, longer season more cold tolerant type would have done better but you still have a faster growing legend 567 or horizon 720 or juggernaut together with those That might have saved the, but I I still think putting a rye that has much more cold tolerance, much more disease tolerance would have been a much, uh, much greater benefit in that, um, in that scenario.
2: That's something that, um, especially this year, Henry and I did a little forage variety testing uh, tour. Uh, in the spring on some field days, as we went across the state, we discussed that, and I too, you know, we're trained as forage specialists, focus on mixing those species together, put mixing, uh, mean those functional groups, but one thing that I had never truly considered was the idea of mixing different varieties of the same species, and we've talked quite a bit, even on the ryegrass, about how you could take, uh, you know, something that is really high-yield, but not have the resilience plant it, but then have a backup that you plant and mix those two varieties together of the same species. And so that you're getting the best of both worlds. With the oats, you can do the same thing. So it's really opened my eyes on how you can mix all those together. Now, obviously, when we're testing these, these are all grown as monocultures. So, you know, you have to play around with it as a farmer to see how they would work together. But definitely putting, having flexibility and thinking about mixing all those things together is going to make your system more productive and more resilient in the long term. And this last year, I think, showed all of us that.
0: It it sure did. It was, uh, was good learning. And that's the good part. Uh, variety testing, sometimes when one things, especially when we're talking about science, there's not much science in that or just testing varieties to see what does better. But there is a heck of a lot of learning every year, observing those varieties there and seeing what's working and what's not. So it's uh, it's greatly... It's greatly appreciated. Um, Henry, you had an observation also in terms of production that not necessarily the best producing one is the most, uh, is the ideal there. Uh, and you mentioned specifically about overseeding one of your ryegrass varieties, one of the new ryegrass varieties. I thought it was a very interesting comment.
3: So, um, this year, just looking at my trials, uh, there was one variety that it went into reproduction super early compared to everything else so in that aspect it put it in a little bit of a disadvantage on yield because it had a shorter growing season but if you were in a warm season overseeded scenario you want something that you're going to plant and you want it to be gone before your warm season starts to to green up otherwise your cool season may turn into a weed and competition for your warm season. So we're gonna do a maturity study this year and look at the different maturities and the range of maturities between these ryegrasses. But just thinking about that um, particular scenario where you're overseeding, you may not want to look at just yield alone. You may want to factor that maturity aspect in there as well.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought it was very interesting in perspective because if we're just looking at the yield, would probably not be one not be one of the rages I would choose. But in in that scenario where I'm overseeding, and that's only part of my pasture because another area that let's just say it's a, it's a prepared ground, I have something else different. Then I can start matching the timing of grazing of those. In putting together my my grazing system as a whole by by merging. Uh, talking about early and I know this is not something that y'all do as much in Alabama, but we in Florida we are paying attention a lot, and then Georgia also. We still have some several dairies that are using cool season forages for for silage, and but the main but the main crop is corn. So they are interested in trying in getting that cold season forage out of the out of the ground by the last week of February, first week of March. And that is that is quite early. That is quite early in the winter because they're they're planting corn between the first and second week of March already in North Florida. And choosing some of the very fast maturing oats in rye and even triticale is an advantage like last year one of one of the most uh, common one of the most common ryes that people use for cover crop and also on the dairy is because it's very productive and very early is an old variety it's called uh, florida 401 rye a uh, pretty bad leaf to stem ratio and i think leanne <laughs> had some experience with that managing for grazing not the best
2: yeah, no, it's it's a it's a struggle. But again, it goes back to what is the purpose of what you're growing. So, if you're trying to use it under grazing scenarios, it it plays out on you really early and kind of may like leave you hanging without any grass, but if you're trying to maximize your yield in a short term, it's, it's it's amazing. it's
0: good. We do have another one that's called Florida five, uh, 405 that is a much better lift to stem ratio that we we tested last year. we have been is it released already? and uh i think it's quite promising but i would say um well just a step back then we look into the common varieties that people plant a lot which is brenza and elbon both are much older varieties elbon i think is from oklahoma I believe that's correct. and and if you look at total season biomass elbon still a pretty decent variety but when you look into the dairy scenario where you need those those grasses harvested by by the first week of March, it's it's not there yet. So it's much later. Uh, Kelly Grazer 3 is another variety that was developed by UF, and it's a little on the later side on the rye also. Um, I always get excited about oat because, for me, they are the best cost-benefit. They, they produce so much high-quality forage. I really like them. They got hammered this this winter. And so the other the other thing, go ahead.
2: I was just gonna say you you go after the oat. I go after the wheat. Wheat is my 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 favorite is small your favorite? grain it's because it's it's a little more resilient than the oat in terms of cold, but doesn't do what that uh, that rye does to me in terms of getting uh, away from me. So Uh-oh. it's funny how all the forest specialists have their favorite small grain go to. So
0: <laughs> yeah, the Wheating Florida. Um, Dr. Blount has always been a very advocate for wheat, and I've been the opposite. I'll tell people don't plant wheat, <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't do well. But it's you consistent. can, in- it's consistent, it's consistent. consistently poor, <laughs> 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 and you can insure. But talking about wheat. Uh, Haitian flies had been a problem in the past, especially last year, and making sure you are choosing a variety that is resistance resistant or tolerant to Haitian fly is yeah. one of the main things. And we press. make
2: our recommendations. So as Marcella mentioned, we, we do meet uh, specialists from all three states, and that is one requirement for our wheat varieties is they have to be... Um, have some Haitian fly tolerance to it. They do a test in in Georgia to verify that. As a matter of fact, so on the wheat varieties, that's very important. And unfortunately, these days um, we're dealing with uh, armyworm issues. Even when early season, if you're trying to plant in early, we'll get some some armyworm issues. So there are some some downsides of of wheat. But I find it consistent. I, I know it's there. So. <laughs> That's how that's how I play my game, but it's it's funny how all the forage specialists I talk to they all have their their favorite go to small grain, and it's hard yeah. to convince us otherwise. So. but oat is good as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm partial, but but back to the oat. It was I was so disappointing arriving in January at some of the dairies mm-hmm. that we had planted the variety trial, and they those are gone. Yeah, basically the only ones standing uh, in one of the sites were Horizon three hundred six in the uh one of the REM varieties
3: we had a couple of the horizon varieties in our trial Um, at first we thought it was a total loss they did come back and they did produce some yield but at that point um it was not going to be quality data for our purposes but some of them did come back Uh
0: but um added to that i had some have two sites in the testing that were i don't know 10 miles from each other Planted the same date, same density, same date, same machinery, same people, everything. Two different areas, a little bit different management. And one was totally totally gone. The other one was not back, but not dead. We still were able to get some very good data and very product, very good production. And actually the all of those, uh, 306 again, was the one that tolerated the best, the cold. But at the end, even though the other, the seven, uh, seven, Horizon Seven Twenty, Legend Five Six Seven, uh, were knocked back further, they recover and still produce more biomass by that date. I would assume that if we had a season, a longer season towards the uh, towards the end of the winter, maybe Three O Six, which is a late variety, or Ram would still be better. But they were still able to recover, yeah, recover quite well.
2: We found that it really, this was one year where that planting date was very important on whether your oats survived or not. If you hit that recommended planting date and got them in the ground, they got some height, they got knocked back, but they came back. But those that planted later in the the planting window definitely saw complete decimation. That's what we saw across Alabama,
3: mm-hmm. which North is why planting Alabama, dates so important. Oh, in North Alabama, our three horizon varieties, 306, 214, and 578, they all three recovered, but they did take a, a beating when that a first initial cold hit.
2: Which I will admit has changed my opinion of oats, because they did come back. Because we always said oats would go out completely, wouldn't come back. So the, these newer variety of oats are a little more resilient, and they they get, but everything got knocked back, so you just can't blame the oats this year, so.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: Everything got decimated. We're so.
0: still recommending them, even though yeah. it was. Uh...
2: Yeah, so that's why we use three years of data, right?
0: That's true, that's true. I'm still I'm still a big fan of our, our Legend five six seven, although we had seen some breaking of that disease, that uh, rust resistance. And this is one of the things that also farmers frequently say, Oh, you said it was resistant. Like, yeah, it had been resistant, but those those trains they evolve over time and that resistance can can be broken. And that's one of the reasons we continue our our forage breeding programs and don't stop as soon as we find a good variety. That's right. We didn't talk much about triticale. I want to mention a few things about triticale. I was quite excited to see some varieties, uh, some of the tricale varieties performing. Um, our standard is Trical 342. It's planted, planted across a, a lot of acres. Um, still producing well. Uh, our eleven forty three is an endless variety that we're recommending for wildlife. It's uh, it's uh, it's a better for it's it's a better option for deer because it's soundless, and we, we we are using a lot in food plot and also in deer production. Our number of deer farms in Florida has increased, and I mean it's big. It's a big industry, uh, both breeding and the, the preserve.
2: Have you have you had many um, of the non wildlife people? go to onless, because I've had some feedback that on the onless varieties, they get decimated by wheat and they're not able, uh, decimated by deer, and they're not able to harvest it. So a lot of my guys are preferring the on variety, the on variety. for cattle purposes, because the deer decimate the onless. Yeah,
0: I've, I've heard about that. And it's, uh, we, we've seen that. We've seen there is a huge preference. And when, when there is a high deer pressure, we see that pre- preference
3: yeah I also see that in the variety trials. Hopefully, we don't have deer in our trials, but when we do they they typically prefer the onless varieties
0: and trical has some some new materials coming in the market also that had been quite impressive
3: this year in our Alabama trials, um, we had three trical experimentals that looked really well, and then surge was still hanging in there with them so. The 342 and the 1143 didn't look quite as good as this new material, but they they still look respectable in our trials.
0: Yeah, we're one of the the, the big advantages of the 342, and I was talking to Dr. Blunt analyzing the data uh, and she's pretty insistent on the 342 for one specific reason is is still the earliest. And for us for I think again for the dairy, or even for the beef cattle side, you want something early, you want something season long, so you have that oat yeah. or that tr- tricol or triticale, uh tricol 342 that is coming early to give you, to give that biomass in late December, early January. If you can get a good planting yeah. date, if you can yeah. get rain and if you fertilize, That's lots sorry. of ifs. That's lots of ifs.
2: <laughs> but that can be, a, especially in South Alabama, North Florida, if you can get your cattle on these uh, small grain mixtures, even if you're grazing, before Christmas or even by Thanksgiving, those 4 to 6 weeks you're not feeding hay and supplement are definitely a game changer in terms of your economics. So, it's it's important to consider those early varieties even if you're just grazing.
0: Mhm. And then again merge them with probably some some good ryegrass or season long ryegrass. Yeah, talking talking about ryegrass, we had um, we had Quite variable data in our trial, and since since our currently current evaluation that we do in Florida is most on the dairies, I don't I can't see a lot of uh, variation on the on the ryegrass because we're harvesting them so early, so they don't show that potential. But uh, we still had some pretty decent uh, pretty decent production on two that I actually like them a lot. One is early ploid. And I think it's uh, early ploid has been a very standard industry yeah. variety in Florida. I don't know we are using here a lot in Alabama.
2: Yes, it's it's becoming more popular. I will say that um, the tried the one that's used the most would be Waxseed Company Marshall. That's what most producers go to but part of our variety trusting program is to show them and we're not saying that any variety is bad marshall is a good product but there are newer varieties now that are out producing it and to consider some of those newer varieties because uh, their yield is becoming more superior to those but early ploid continues to be one that we've had um, on the books for a while so uh, in north alabama it wasn't quite on there but in central and south alabama it definitely is one of our top yielders
0: mm-hmm. And the other one, um, I, 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 I swear I'm not going, not being biased here. Frostproof, proof, another UFO rating. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's a diploid type. Is one that I like a lot. It does come with a very good resi- disease resistant package and disease resistant rating, better than actually the early ploid from our rating, our trials. And um, it's it's yielded has yielded quite quite well in our trials actually sometimes even better than all the tetraploids Mm is normally a top yielding
2: yeah well and that that brings up a good point you know um tetraploids get a lot of uh press about being bigger and better and you go out in the field it's definitely office obvious which varieties are tetraploids but our data continually shows that the specific variety itself is more important than the fact that it's a diploid or a tetraploid. So when you're evaluating this, just because it's a tetraploid doesn't mean that it's going to be superior than any diploids. It's important to look at the specific variety to make sure, because even though the leaves are bigger, we can show that the yield may not be different. It's a difference in dry matter typically.
3: Frostproof didn't do as well in the South Alabama trials, but one thing I would like to point out about it is it was one of the varieties that kind of by its name gives it away, it was one of the more cold-tolerant varieties that we had in our trough.
2: We'll say on these varieties, one thing um, the companies, when they put varieties in, they do, and it was mentioned earlier, put some experimental varieties in. But we do our best, and the reason that we work together. So when we make recommendations, it has to be commercially available. So every year we go through, and um, if necessary, we contact the company and make sure there's seed available for those. We don't want to recommend something that y'all can't get seed for. But you might have to call the company. Uh, a lot of these varieties are you're not going to find on your local feed store or co-op shelf. They're going to go with the the big sellers, but that doesn't mean you can't get the seed. Um, contact the company. Contact your local extension agent. We can help you get in line with the companies to get some seed. So just because it's not on the shelf at your local market doesn't think it's not available. We, we can help you find yep. it. So
0: Basically, just don't go with the first that's right. First, uh, That's right. The first bag you find and but you will
2: you will have to do a little bit of planning, right? A lot of times what happens is you think, hey, I'm going to plant this tomorrow. Let me go to the store and buy some ryegrass or small grain seeds. So it does take some planning. Um, it's the first week of August. I'm considering right now what I'm planning for my research so I can get it in hand in the next three or four weeks. So I can get in the ground in the next six to eight weeks. So it takes some planning to get that out early, but it's worth the time and planning to do so that you get some of these... Um, early, get get the varieties that you want that you think are going to work well on your farm and not just have to go with whatever's left on the shelf.
0: That's true.
3: One thing that I'd point out about um, getting those varieties is I would try to make sure that I could get certified seed. Um, One kind of the running joke between me and some of the seed companies is uh, some of these varieties that have gone off patent they may be calling it variety A, but is it really that variety or is it just what they had left over from last year that they swept up out of the back of the seed room and bagged up? You know, Is it really what they're saying it is? So the best practice would be to get that certified seed if possible.
0: Yep, certified seeds because when you're getting those common seeds, um, and just to name one, golf, sometimes golf does extremely well. And then farmers are like, well, I, I was much cheaper and I planted this. And then next year you don't know what you're getting. And then it's full of gray leaf spot. So that's that's the risk. Certified seeds, I always don't don't go for the the, the easy brown bag. And also many people are just going to the store as Lian said and buying some seeds out of there, especially for wildlife. It's a it's a nice packaging, a big buck in the yeah a big buck in the in the advertisement in the packaging and you go and uh, read uh, read and make sure you pay attention to what is what is in there which what species is in there and what variety is being planted because many times that cheap seed is going to cost you a lot of money and sometimes they are not even that cheap you can go to the to the as you said to the big stores uh, in uh, specialized stores in in uh, agricultural stores and buy the the same or better materials for cheaper and make your own mix. We do have recommendations for that as well. If uh, you want to to look in, th- in our extension mm-hmm. publications.
2: Yeah, and we actually have um, a tri-state group uh, in Alabama. It would be the Alabama. Uh, Crop Improvement Association. They also have counterparts in Florida and Georgia that this is what they do. They certify the seed. You know exactly how much weed seed is in there. They'll list them. If they're noxious weeds, there can only be so much. I think it's 0.5% weed seed or more. It can't be certified. So, and that goes for all seed, not just seed annuals, but it may be a little bit more expensive, but as Marcelo said, it's it's worth the cost because you're going to pay for it one way or the other.
0: Yep. That is true. Well, do you have any other comments about the uh, variety selection or some of the exciting data that we collected this past winter?
3: Oh, uh, check out the variety testing website at Auburn.
0: Okay. And UF, too, we have, so we'll have something soon. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm really excited to start working with you in this variety trial. I'm not sure I'm prepared yet, but I'm excited. Leanne? <laughs> um,
2: I guess my, my parting words would be, you know, make sure you have any questions, reach out to your extension. We're here to help. It's, uh, if they don't have the information we get to people like, uh, uh, Dr. And Al, we love doing this. I, don't, I know he's is about passionate. I think about Cool season annuals. I am. This is what I really enjoy, and um, we can we can help with you. And if there's um, a variety that's not on our list that you want tested, you know, let us know. Get with the seed company. We can reach out to them to try to get it tested because this is um, completely the companies pay for it. But this is completely for y'all. So we can we have flexibility. Just let us know, and we can make this. Uh, you know, if we need to do something, we can
0: do it. So. Totally, totally. And just to reinforce our disclaimer here, we mentioned several varieties. We mentioned a few companies. Uh, we're not endorsing any company. We're just testing what is out in the market that the companies are sending us. And we're trying to provide most up-to-date information on the adaptation of those cool season varieties based on multi-state data. And that means sometimes there are varieties that are still working that are not in our list just because they have not been tested. Again, reach out to us or reach out to the company and maybe we can start working with them and get those varieties in the recommendation list. Leanne, Erin, I really appreciate the conversation today and I hope this can help our farmers and extension agents to make better decisions on this next winter in preparation for their cool season uh, pasture planting. Thank you. And here with us we also have Dr. Ann Blanche. She's an emeritus professor on forage breeding with the University of Florida, and currently working with the Southern Seed Certification for Alabama and Florida, and for the Alabama Crop Improvement. Those groups also promote the use of certified seeds and variety recommendation, with which is a very important part of the very important component of the breeding program as well. Dr. Blunt has a vast knowledge in breeding and in seed production and on variety recommendation. And she has been the one running the variety trials in the state of Florida in conjunction with the Georgia and Alabama variety trials. So we always get Dr. Blunt to come and talk a little bit with us to share some of her knowledge regarding the variety recommendation, and especially why it's so important to buy certified seeds. Dr. Blunt, welcome.
4: My goal in my retirement years is to explain why using certified varieties, improved varieties are important for the end user. So regarding that, when we make recommendations across the southeast for cool season and warm season forages, we recommend that growers use certified seed, which gives you a guarantee of good germination uh, good varieties that have been vetted for disease and insect resistance and production, and I think that this gives you a better guarantee on a successful planting. It might be cheaper to buy bin run seed or or seed that is out of certification, but when you do that, you oftentimes you get seed that has low germination might be carryover seed from the year before. It may be varieties that are no longer on the market because they have inadequate disease and insect resistance or some other production problem. So you get what you pay for. It's only a few dollars more typically per bag to get a better quality variety. And forage specialists across the Southeast usually work together and Test across state lines and multiple locations and um uh environments to be able to give you the best information for you to make a good selection for your area of of um, production and then regarding cover crops, it's pretty much the same thing you want to plant a successful cover crop, and people often think about just using binrun seed or you know an older variety. But the same thing holds true. You get what you pay for. You want a cover crop to be successful. You want good germination. You want it to have the um, disease and insect resistance that your improved varieties have. And again, it's just a few more dollars to get a better quality product. And uh, you're only planting about half the seeding rate. So your savings is in planting maybe less seed per acre, but you're still ensured that you are planting a better option. So uh, again, I recommend certified seed for everyone who is um, looking to plant either forages for livestock, cover crop, wildlife. It's just a guarantee that you're getting a better product in the back.
0: That is perfect, and that's why we create those recommendation lists and update them every year based on actual trials that we have been running through across the southeast in Georgia, Alabama, and in Florida.
1: Thank you for joining us on this Cow
0: Talks podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you have any questions, ideas, follow-ups, or comments, please reach out to us through our email, forages at iFas.ufl.t That is forages at ifas.ufl.edu or find us on our social media uf.forages on instagram uf forage team on facebook or uf IFA's forages on youtube